Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit Pew Podcast and this week's Adult Bible Studies. We continue our series Beyond Sunday. In the last few weeks, we've been dealing with this sanctification. How do we grow in our faith? Then last week, we talked about the our opposition, what's trying to stop us from that. And this week, we are going to deal with Mr. Flesh. We're going to see an attitude and then a position that helps us claim the victory that we have over the flesh. And so we're going to get into this. I went a little long this week, so I hope you have some time to schedule aside to listen to this podcast because I believe there's a lot of truth in here that we need every single day to see victory over Mr. Flesh. So without further ado, here is this week's Adult Bible Study. Let's go ahead and turn to Romans 6. We will get there eventually to Romans chapter 6. But I have some verses in your outline because I want you to be able to see, as this has been a topical study for now throughout this series, it's entitled Beyond Sunday, where we are trying to take what we hear on Sunday and actually apply it Monday through Saturday. And then we've been dealing with, and you'll see the review, which I'll, last week I got bogged down in the review, um, but I think it's important for us to keep, because the series is building on each other, and so I want to take a second here to review, maybe get some feedback from you on that. But we've been talking about, as you can see my uh, little short stubby timeline here that Ellie helped me out with, you can see that we are talking about this period called sanctification. We've talking about this after salvation, we begin this journey of faith called sanctification. I said there were some other n- names to that. We, we call it sometimes growth, help us to grow. You'll hear people say, or biblical growth, or becoming more like Jesus Christ, all synonyms for sanctification. All flow off the tongue a lot better than saying sanctification sometimes. But sanctification is that process after you're saved and before you die and go to heaven when you are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the second check there. The goal of this journey is to be more like Jesus Christ. And true biblical change, as I said in the first illustration, is not just a relief from symptoms, but it's becoming like Jesus Christ. I gave a teabag illustration. Can anyone do a quick synopsis of what the teabag illustration was? Anybody remember? Dad used it last Sunday. Did you notice that? Either he's a podcast listener for like these on here that'll be listening later, or he found that illustration as well. But what was the teabag illustration? Yeah, what's ever in your heart, whatever's truly the inside, when it's put into a hot situation, is going to come out just like the teabag. So if you got a hot situations in life, and all of a sudden something's coming out that you don't like, that's God working to get deal with that problem. And so if you don't like the taste, you can't turn off the hot water. you got to change the bag of tea. And so true biblical change is not just a relief from symptoms. It's becoming like Jesus Christ. When your symptoms get better and you all of a sudden get better, that doesn't mean you're sanctified. That just means your symptoms got better. And when they get bad again, you're going to go back to the same person. And so... Uh, then we said bring, the person bringing about this change in your life is not your pastor necessarily, though he may be used by, but it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you. At this moment right here of salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit who is the captain. It's Jesus Christ in you of your sanctification process. He is working and guiding in your life. So our responsibility is obedience. What do I know that the Bible tells me to do? And I obey. But I obey not in my own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. He empowers me to bring the change. And I use the plow as an illustration in that, remember. The plow 
is going to do the job, but if I'm trying to do it in my own strength, we're not getting anywhere. But the moment I abide in that tractor and hook it up, all of a sudden we get it done, and I say, hey, I just plowed the field, but it wasn't me, like Galatians 2.20, yet not I, but Christ dwelleth in me, yet not I, but the tractor plowed it. Yeah, so, what's, yeah, what's that? The I know, I shouldn't, I got I to gotta change that illustration with our... Tra- Pulling device. There we go. With someone here that likes to take tractors over the hill. So, anyways, last week we got into, that was all kind of first week. And then last week we talked about how our journey of faith is not without its enemies. So everything could sound real good after week one saying, all right, this sounds great. I'm saved. Now I'm to, to be sanctified by faith. There's going to be change in my life. I have the Holy Spirit, the captain of my salvation, Jesus Christ leading me. Everything's going to be great. Well, week two was... You do have some opposition. Anybody remember the three oppositions that we're going to face? Satan. Satan. Kind of the head of it. What's that? Your flesh, who we're going to double down on this week. And the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They all conspired together as kind of like an evil uh, trinity in a sense. Satan, who's the headmaster of this, the world system that's just around us. And I'm not going to go ahead and describe all this again. But then our internal enemy, the flesh, who we are really dealing with in this series. Because Satan's going to be there. We can resist him in the name of Jesus Christ. The world's there. And if you haven't figured out yet, our world is messed up. And I spent some time last week dealing with that. But the flesh is who you deal with every day and who I deal with. And when I can get my flesh under spirit control, and I was almost to say under control, it's not me. I can't do it. I'm not pulling the plow. When I can get my flesh under spirit control, all of a sudden the things of this world don't affect me because I'm walking in the spirit. All of a sudden Satan has no power over me because I'm walking in the spirit. But that internal flesh is the struggle. That's why we're doubling down on him a little bit this week. And my goal at the end of this lesson this is what did I say? We talked about it at the end of the class last week. We're cultivating the ground of our heart for a few weeks, dealing with this ugly flesh that every one of us, we all look good in class today, don't we? You're all smiling. But how many, you don't have to raise your hand, rhetorical question, but how many saw Mr. Flesh creep up in your life this week? You saw it in some way. It came up in your worry. He came up in your anger. It came up in your jealousy. It came up in your envy. It came up at work. It came up at home. You all, and what I meant to emphasize last week is I want you to identify Mr. Flesh when it comes up. Call it out. Just say, hey, nice to meet you, Mr. Flesh. Here you are. All right. Say it. Don't say it to your spouse, though. Oh, there's Mr. Flesh. That, that's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. It's easier, by the way, it is easier to see it in someone else that you're close to than it is your own life. It's part of the deceptive nature of the flesh. You may think, oh, I'm all good. And a lot of others are going, oh, you're not all good. <laughs> Mr. Flesh is there, which is, so we got to make sure you're careful with that. But this week, I want us, my goal, by the end of this lesson, I want us to have confidence that Mr. Flesh has no power over you. And to do that, there's two things we got to cover. We, it's going to start with an attitude that we have to have. We have to have this attitude if we're going to conquer it, not in our strength. You're going to hear me say that. But if I slip up and say, we conquer the flesh, you're not going to conquer the flesh. The Spirit of God in you is. But we do have to have this attitude, and then I'm going to remind you of a position that we've got to claim. So, last week there was one part, and I had to kind of speed through, but I started to talk about the, the danger.
measure the attitude of trusting in our own way. And you may remember from those notes last week that I had a lot of verses in here at the bottom of your notes that all dealt with our own way. Like, like uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thy own understanding. Like a verse from Judges says, but every man did that was right in his own eyes. It's not in your notes this week. Uh, like Proverbs 3, 7 says, be not wise in thine own eyes. Like Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And so I was emphasizing last week that the problem that you and I have, and I was hinting towards this, it is flesh. But the reason why flesh is so deceiving and so has such a grip on us is because, oh, buckle in now, this is a bad way to start. Introduction, you're supposed to catch their attention, not insult them. But are you ready for this? We're all selfish by nature. You're looking at a selfish guy, and I'm looking at selfish people. And because by nature, in our flesh, we get selfish, it's so easy for us to be tempted by the flesh. And so, the attitude I want to talk about today is this, the first one is humility. And I want us to think about this. God made man dependent. We're going to get to some verses here in a second, but God made man dependent. When, at, when God created Adam... Adam absolutely needed God. If you think about it, he, Adam, God told Adam who he was. He told him what to eat. He told him what not to eat. He told him what his job was. Everything that Adam knew from the time that he was created was totally dependent upon God. He needed God. God made him dependent on him. And when you and I, as we're going to see in this lesson, when we live independently from God, when we try to do things in our own strength and trust in our own heart and our own ways, and we try to battle the flesh in our own strength, you are doomed to fail. Satan doesn't care to match up against you, but he's no match against the Holy Spirit. And so we, we've got to get away from this mindset that I'm going to live my own way, it's my own rights. You'll hear people say this, I have a right, it's my way, my, my. You hear people start saying, I, 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 my, 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 my rights. Oh boy, Mr. Flesh has got you deceived. Okay. Now, but when we trust and when we choose to trust and depend upon God, as you see throughout the Bible, then God's promises to us about satisfaction, about hope, about security, about joy, that's when those begin to come. So, as I've said, but repetition is the key to learning, the first three weeks have been literally trying to just identify your flesh Monday through Saturday to get you to really get so just hate the flesh as much as we do the New England Patriots all right in football season all right sorry I know we got one New Englander here but I had to bring it up but you just got it when you when I see that New England Patriots just because he's from Boston area all right so whenever I see that New England Patriots stuff I'm like I don't want anything to do with that you know but I want us in a more serious way though anytime the flesh comes up say I just hate the flesh I hate what it's doing. I don't want anything to do with this. I want the new life in Christ. I want sanctification. So we've got to get away from this. I'm independent. I'm No, you're dependent upon God. That's how you were created. Psalm 100 verse 3, it should be in your notes. I should have about every verse until we get to Romans in there. But it says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us. Not we ourselves. We didn't create ourselves. He made us. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are God's. 
So we need to be dependent upon God. And the understanding of all of this, of who we are, is called humility. And humility is the key, one of the keys, I should say, a key, in defeating the flesh. If we are full of pride, you will not defeat the flesh. Think about this. Proverbs 6. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. So he's going to list six, seven things that God hates. You know what the very first one is? A proud look. That's the first one that God hates and lists and the things that he hates. Go back to the very first fall of, of Satan. We talked briefly about it last week. What caused Satan to rebel and get cast out of heaven? It was pride. I want to be. Go read, I think it's Isaiah 14. I may be wrong, but read Isaiah passage and read the Ezekiel passage. Find that. Google it. You'll find it. When he says, I will be this. I will be this. I will be this. Hey, there's a lot of pride there. Satan kicked out. Why do we think we're going to be any different in the Christian life? Pride destroys. So Andrew Murray quote should be in your notes there. He said this. He said, humility, comma, then he defines it. The place of entire dependence upon God is from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of man. So here's Andrew Murray's great book on humility. I think it's free out there. You can get it on a PDF. It's free. But he said the, the, the greatest, the first duty and the highest virtue that we can have is that of humility. The Christian life began with humility. I want you to think about this right here. I know I got to stand over here, but is this, this a little better for you, Mr. Carr? We got a higher now. But salvation began in a sense with humility. I had to humble myself and rid myself of my self-efforts and then place my faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. That was humility. It was a brokenness. I think I wrote in my notes. I don't remember if I wrote them in yours. But when I got saved, I had to realize that I was nothing before God. And you did too. That we were bankrupt before God. There was nothing that we could offer to God. That we were unable to do anything about it ourselves. That we were in a debt to sin. So wherever you got saved, for me, it was in the bedroom of my parents' house. For you, it could have been church. It could have been on the road. It could have been on the side of the road. Wherever it was. We all had to come to God the same way. Broken over our lack of ability to do anything about our debt of sin. And in by faith receiving Jesus Christ. Right? So that's humility and faith. So the same type of attitude of humility, though, is expected in this part of sanctification. I think Colossians 2, 6 is in your notes, right? And it says this, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. Well, how did I receive Christ Jesus? By faith, after I was humbled about my lack of ability. And so he says, As ye have received Christ Jesus, so walk. Can we just, and I'm not trying to go against the scripture, but can I just say it for our classic? As ye receive Christ Jesus, salvation, so walk, be sanctified. As ye. That's what he wants us to be. So my life now in sanctification is to be humble and by faith. I'm broken over, over my sin and by faith I'm reaching out to God. So humility is not just the start of the Christian life. It is everything in the, everything to make you godly in the Christian life. Now i got some verses for you. Look at these verses. Let's think of these verses. Some of these are good. All of them are good. But let me emphasize some of them. Look at the first one in Matthew 11. He says, come unto me. Here's Jesus. You can't see the red letters in your notes, but it's Jesus speaking. And he says, come unto me, 
All ye that are la- that labor and are heavy laden. Is there anybody in here that have been laboring all week and you're a heavy laden? You're just worn out. So he says, come unto me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Question. Yeah. Is there multiple times in your life that you're going to have that come to reality? Oh, yeah. Yeah, good question. Um, well, this comes up sometimes when it, like camps, kids go to camp, and they're like, I'm gonna, I surrender my life to the Lord. And that's great. I'm always excited when kids surrender their life to the Lord. They have a reality of, and these are Christian kids, I have a reality that, you know what, I've not, I've not been living for the Lord. I haven't been what I should. I, I'm surrendering everything. Great. But guess what? Mr. Flesh is going to be knocking at your door tomorrow. Mr. Flesh is going to be like, hey, when they go back to school, when we go back to work, when we get back in every day. And so this needs to be, remember Paul said, I die daily. This has to be a daily realization that every day these, that I need to humble myself. But sometimes we go some time, just like we, like we do. We go some time. And the realization, again, comes to us like, hey, what am I doing? Confess it. So that, yes, the answer to your question is yes, it can. Um, now, if we take the proper steps and die daily and keep this in mind, we have less of those that we have to, and we just are growing progressively, and, and you, don't, you don't have to. But there's many times in my life where I find myself like, what am I doing? Kind of like my diet. <laughs> two years ago, I lost 30 pounds. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, two years ago, I lost 30 pounds, and then in one year, I gained 34 pounds probably. <laughs> And now here I am two years later, and I'm down 21. I've had a realization that, hey, Brad, you're fat. You're in the mirror. I'm looking at that. So I realized that. I needed to start cutting back down. So yes. Now he says, come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am meek and lowly, humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So here he gives our captain and our sanctification, our Savior. He says, I am lowly. I am humble. And then he goes on in Matthew 20, he says, And whosoever will be chief among you, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a ser- you want to be the chief, let him be your servant. We have a, a lot of times a mixed idea of what leadership is. Leadership isn't someone that can just tell everybody what to do and boss them around all the time. Sure, you can, but you're not going to get anywhere. A true leader, biblically, a biblical leader is a servant. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to care for those that are underneath me and serve them. That's what he says right here. In Luke 14, he says, For whosoever shall exalt himself, that's pride, shall be abased. That's God bringing you back down to reality. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So you want to get full of pride like Satan did? God abased him. God brought him back down to reality. But when you humble yourself, as Jesus did when he came to this earth, Philippians 2, God exalted him. God will exalt you. And so... He goes on, i got a few more in here. It says in Luke 22, But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether he is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Here's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all the world. And he's trying to explain this same principle to his disciples. And he said, here I am, about to be the Savior of the world, and I'm serving you. We saw that when he washed the disciples' feet. Peter got onto this truth, and when he wrote later on in his life, in 1 Peter 5, he said, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. 
Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You know, today our society, our athletes, our entertainers, our politicians, our business people, our influencers, social media influencers, what is the the main thing that guides all of them? It's a self-confident arrogance and a self-indulgent lifestyle. Self, 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 self. It's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him first deny himself. It's not about me. And so when I'm talking about my rights and my, I do this, I do this, God, I, whoa, it's not about you. The Christian life, you died right here. I died this moment right here, spiritually speaking. I died to myself. I died to my desires and everything. And I became alive with Jesus Christ to serve him. We'll show you those verses here in a minute in Romans chapter number six. So the sanctification process is not about the, the prospering of bread. The sanctification process is about glorifying Jesus Christ. When I get to this part, heaven, I'm not going to be rewarded based on what I've done here for me on this earth. We're rewarded based on what we've done to glorify God on this earth. The purpose that we were created was to glorify God, but sin destroyed all that. But now when we get saved by faith and humble ourselves, we can glorify God and allow Him to change us in our lives. So let me just say, maybe sit there and say, all right, I don't care what you say. I don't think this class would say that, but let me build it up so it makes, helps me teach, all right? So maybe you're just saying, I don't care what you say. It's about me. Okay, well, how is God then going to humble you? Let me show you three things we see in the Bible. And, I, and I, again, because of uh, you only have a limited amount of time, I, I can't go to every one of these passages and show you, so I'll tell you the story. But let's, let's, here's one way God will humble you. If you choose to leave here today and say, I don't care what you say. Here's one way. Have you seen this before? God can send you a problem that you can't handle to expose our helplessness. Think about that one for a second. Let it sink in. God will send you a problem that you can't handle. And it will expose how helpless you are with the desire to turn you to God and say, God, I need you. Who had that happen to? I got in my notes a guy named Naaman. You guys know Naaman in the Bible? Maybe not. That's fine. I'll tell you the story. Naaman was a leader. And he, he had a servant girl, and one day he came down with leprosy. Leprosy in the Bible was a death sentence. I mean, there was no cure for it. It was a death sentence. And, and Naaman's little servant girl said to him, Oh, that he could go and see the prophet. Is Elijah? I think Elijah. Oh, that he could go see him. And Naaman's like, Sure, if he can heal me, he's a prophet, I'll go see him. And so he goes to see him. And Elijah, I love this story. I wish I could build it out more. Elijah didn't even get off his chair. Didn't even go out to greet him. You know, if you go to someone's house and they come out and greet you, if they just ignore you the whole time, it's kind of insulting. But back then in the Bible, it's extremely insulting. Elijah didn't even come out. He just sent, I think he sent his servant out first. He just sat back in his chair. Hey, go tell him to dip in the Jordan River, which is the muddiest, nastiest river. Go tell him to dip in that Jordan River seven times. He'll be fine. And Naaman was furious. He was prideful. He's not even going to come out and greet me. And then he's going to send me to the nastiest, muddiest river. Forget it. I don't want anything to do with this. What he had a problem that he was going to die of, but in his pride, he was going to walk away stubborn. He was going to walk away and die because he didn't get greeted and because he got told to go to a dirty place and he is more dignified than that dirty place. Finally, his servant said, hey, 
I'm paraphrasing in the Brad version, are you dumb? Are you just going to go die because you're too prideful to go dip in the Jordan River? And you know, when he finally obeyed and he got to that dirty Jordan River, he went in one time, came out. He's still a leper. Two times, still a leper. I can just picture him. I, I just, I wonder if at that time he was thinking, you know what, this is dumb. What am I doing? I'm dipping in the river. The guy won't even come see me. This is a dirty river. I'm nasty. I could, he could have, but he kept, boom, seven times and he was healed. What happened? God sent him a problem, leprosy, that exposed the helpless. I can't do anything about it. And then he was helpless again because he was told to go do something he didn't want to do. And he exposed his pride. And when someone called out his pride, and he finally humbled himself. But it was really God that humbled him, wasn't it? We always say humbled himself. But it was really God that humbled him. Now he could see the power of God in his life. But he had to be humbled. So number one, maybe now, now thousands of years later, if God wants to deal with your pride, he will send you a problem that you cannot handle. So you have to turn to God. Or he can give you a command that you will not obey. To expose your self-centeredness. Who do we talk about on here? Well, what about Jonah? Remember, God sent him a command. The command was this. Go and preach to, my peop- to the people Nineveh. Now, can I read? I know I don't have time for this, but I'm going to show you a verse that I, I don't even remember being in the Bible. And that's, I, this one surprised me. You can turn here if you want. We're going to come to get the others in a minute. But go to 2 Kings if you want. 2 Kings, I for totally overlooked this in all my years of study some reason chapter 14 second kings chapter 14 it's not like it's going to be some powerful truth that's going to change your life ultimately but just it helps us get a context of jonah because everybody knows what happened to jonah right maybe maybe not he got swallowed by a whale why did he get swallowed by a whale he tried to refuse god god told him to go to nineveh and preach to these people and he didn't want to he was a prophet but he didn't want to do what god wanted him to do so god gave him a command that he would not obey to expose his self-centeredness. But what I think, this is just a little nugget here. I'm just giving you a nugget real quick. But 2 Kings 14, look at verse 25. It says, he restored the coast, talking about this king Jeroboam, he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah. I never knew Jonah was mentioned in the Kings. I don't know why. I should have. I've studied through it. But note, he, he, this king, was, let me just finish out the sentence. He spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was with, with Gath Heifer. So here was the time when Jer- Jeroboam was doing some great things. And you know what? He was getting these commands from Jonah. I didn't see this part of the beginning of Jonah's life. Jonah had a prosperous kingdom. As a prophet, here's what he was doing. He was telling, he was telling this king, Joe, he said, hey, you need to go do this. God gave me the message. You need to go do this. The king would go do it. Everything went great. And then he said, hey, God would give a message. He'd say to the king, hey, you need to go do this. The king would go do it. Everything was great. So, so Jonah was living a very easy life as a prophet. And then one day he got a message from God that said this. Hey, Jonah, I don't want you to go tell the king this. I want you to go to Nineveh. Whoa, come back again. Yeah, go to Nineveh. Well, those are our enemies. Yeah, I know. Those, they, they literally skin people alive and hang their carcasses on the wall. Yeah, I know. They need Jesus. They need me. Go preach to them. 
But Jonah got comfortable in the easy life. Get a message from God, tell it to the king. The king does it, prospers. Everything's going really easy. And then God said, I'm going to give you a command that you're not going to want to do. And it's going to expose your self-centeredness. And did Jonah get exposed? <laughs> if you've ever read the book of Jonah, he got exposed in a, a major, major way. He didn't want to go preach. He went and preached. The whole city repented, and he's still pouting with a bad attitude at the end of the book. Absolutely exposed his self-centeredness. And sometimes God will send you a command that you just refuse to obey initially to expose the self-centeredness in your life. Then how, what's another way God can humble us? Well, he can arrange an outcome that we can't control to expose our sinfulness. Think about that. He'll arrange an outcome that we can't control. You ever had something that's just totally out of your control? Nothing you can do. And it exposes maybe a sinfulness in us. David was the one illustration here. David had a lot of things he could control, but he chose to do wrong. He chose to have an affair with Bathsheba. He chose to kill her husband. A lot of things that he could control. But what he could not control is that his son was going to die because of it. He couldn't control that. And he tried to hide, before he knew that, he tried to hide his sin and cover it up for a while. But then God exposed it. And God revealed it through Nathan the prophet. And there are times that God can arrange circumstances or outcomes in our life that we can't control and it's exposing a sinfulness that we're trying to cover up. And so what I'm trying to say is this. The first key to defeating the flesh is you and I have to, we have to, we have to humble ourselves. And if we refuse to humble ourselves, God will do it. And my advice is, it's a lot easier to humble yourself than it is to have God humble you. Because you can find yourself, and I'm not trying to, this is not a, a, a spiritual threat or a scare tactic, but I'm telling you just stories. You'll hear people have been in the hospital. You'll hear people sick. You'll hear things happening. And what is it? It's hard to say, but a lot of times you'll hear their testimony afterwards, and they'll say, I was fighting God, and God humbled me. And what that tells me is I'd rather just humble myself before God because I don't want an all-powerful God. And you say, now some will come back and say, now does God do that because he's hateful? And he no, God does it because he loves us. You ever have a kid that's just out of control? They could choose to do right, humble themselves, but they don't. So what happens? Discipline comes in. Do you discipline because you hate your kid? No, you discipline them because you love your kid and you're trying to humble it for them. God just does that on a much more creator type way, <laughs> much more powerful way. So we need to humble ourselves. Okay, so that's the attitude we have to have if we are truly going to see it. Go back to Romans 6 and we'll be there for the rest of our time. Uh, but if, and in Romans 8. But So the chief requirement, if we're going to be useful for God, is we've got to, and see biblical changes, we've got to be humble. One person said this, a man's potential for God lies not in his ability nor in his opportunity, but in his humility before God. That's your potential. If you humble yourself before God. But now that we've established that attitude that we have to have to defeat the flesh in, in dependence upon God, we've, we've, it's time to just kill the flesh. All right, you guys ready to start killing some things right here? It's time to kill the flesh. Listen to Romans 8. You can flip over there. You're right close to it. Romans 8, 13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. It always destroys. But look at this next part. I love this. But, he says, conjunction there. But, if ye 
through the Spirit. So he's saying, if you, but it's through the Spirit. It's not through your own strength. So don't go out here flesh hunting by yourself, all right? If you, through the Spirit, do mortify. What is mortify? It's not a word we use a lot. It literally means to kill. That's why I said, are we really ready to kill here? So he says, if you, through the Spirit, that's who empowers us, do mortify or kill the deeds of the body. That's the actions of the flesh that are coming out in your life. Ye shall live. Now, the next phrase, Colossians 3, this is a verse of, back in the day, if anyone said, would you sign my Bible, I would always put Colossians 3, 1 through 4. But I want to read to you Colossians 3, 1 through 5. See it in your notes there. If ye then be risen with Christ, it means you die, you're saved, you've risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections, your attitudes, your desires on things above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead. That's a weird way to say it, but you remember we've already said that. Right here in the moment of salvation, you died. Spiritually, you died with Jesus Christ. You identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He says, for you are dead now. And he says, let me find my spot here. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, verse 4, guys, I hope you're all looking at your paper. I love verse 4. There's a comma comes up here, and it's real important. Notice what he says. He says, when Christ, and then he puts a comma. That means he's, he, it's like when he was writing, he had a thought. When Christ, hold on a second, there's a thought here. And then he says this next phrase, who is our life? Now, that's not where he was initially going to go. So let's take that out and see where he was initially going to go. He says, when Christ shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. That's what he wanted to say. But he stopped and gave us a little nugget. He says, when Christ, hold on a second, who is your life? Jesus Christ is your life now. And that's what I've been trying to get across at the beginning. This sanctification process is not about me. It's not my life anymore. I died when I got saved. It's Christ's life through me. So he says, when Christ, comma, who is our life, it's his life now. So I'm not, I don't get to tell God what to do. It's his life now. Through me. When Christ, who is my life, shall appear. Then he goes on to talking about what he meant to talk about. But then, then he says in the verse 5, he starts it off by saying this. Mortify or kill therefore your members. Now, that's not talking about church members, all right? He's saying kill your, the, the part of your body, the flesh, which is upon the earth, which is filled with these things. Fornication. It's any type of sexual sin outside of marriage. Uncleanness. Inordinate affection. Wrong desires. Evil concupiscence covetousness idolatry we'll get into more of those later another time but boy he's just dealing with a bunch of sin and he says hey kill the flesh you're dead with christ sanctification is not to live out sin it's to kill this sin and so now i got to wrap this up but i'm going to wrap it up in romans 6 all right we got here this is romans 6 one of the most powerful chapters in all the bible that i have three minutes to give you all right three minutes for the most powerful chapter in the bible i'm sure we'll come back to it in later lessons but how do I defeat the flesh? It's not you, it's Christ. Let me show you why. Number one. Number two, you've got to be humble. You've got to be broken over your sin and say, I don't want this anymore. You've got to be broken. Humble yourself. But then three things that are just a basic phrase. Anytime someone goes to Romans 6, they're going to say these three words. They're going to say no, they're going to say reckon, they're going to say yield. Just mark it down. Mental note. Next time you hear Romans 6, see if someone says no, reckon, and yield. Because that's the overall basic outline you can't get away from. Number one, you've got to know your position. 
You got to know your position. The position I've been talking about this whole time, so I don't need a lot of time to explain it. Your position is this. I am dead with Jesus Christ. I am in Jesus Christ now. I have a new position. I always illustrate this in one way. I'm going to change my illustration this time and just give you a simple, fast one. You ready? Let's say we all rent from a guy named Mr. Brown. Okay, Mr. Brown. We rent a house from Mr. Brown. You rent a house from Mr. Brown. So every month, Mr. Brown comes to your door and he says, hey, I need $500. You pay Mr. Brown $500. Why? Because he's the landlord. You're the person that lives there. And so you pay him $500. Now, Mr. Brown sells his home to Mr. Green. Okay. Mr. Brown sells the home to Mr. Green. You get a contract, though, you can still live there. Now, who do you owe your money to? Mr. Green, he owns the house, right? It was like trick question here. Everybody's like, all right, what is the trick? Mr. Brown doesn't own the house anymore. Mr. Green does. He says you can live there. Now you pay Mr. Green. But let's say Mr. Brown comes to your house first of the month. Need my $500. You know what you say to Mr. Brown? You're not getting your $500. You no longer are the master over me. I have a new master. Now, here's what we do a lot of times. Well, let me, let me make the application. When we died in Jesus Christ, Satan lost all authority over us. He's no longer our landlord. He's no longer our master. And we have a new master in Jesus Christ who's a great master, who loves us, who answers prayer, who cares for us, who's merciful, who's humble. Where Satan was a slave master, now we have a new master. It's great. But here's what happens. Satan comes and knocks on the door. I want my rent. You know what so many of us do as Christians? We give it to them. And we can. You know why we do? Because we kind of like some of the things that Satan, we kind of like some of the pleasures of sin. Now, if Mr. Brown, go back to this, if Mr. Brown came to my door and knocked on the door and said, hey, I need $500. Can I give it to him? I like Mr. Brown. He was a great guy. And I said, sure, here's $500. But am I obligated to do that? No, I got to give it to Mr. Green. So I can. And guess what? If you want to give into your flesh, you can. Go do whatever you want to do. But it's going to lead to destruction. And you're going to find that when you get into that sin and entangled in that sin, you are miserable. Why? Because he's a, he's a terrible master. But the only one you're obligated to now is Jesus Christ. And it, the obligated word is hesitant to say because... It's not a bad thing. Jesus Christ is amazing. So look at that principle in verse, verse 11. It says, likewise, or, or let's go to back to verse 9. Uh, actually, let's go to verse 6. Knowing this, there's a word no. Knowing this, that your old man is crucified with him, the body of sin, you died. Your body of sin is crucified, so that you might be destroyed. Henceforth, we should not serve sin. You don't serve sin. Don't serve Mr. Brown. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You're free from Mr. Brown. Now, if we be dead with Christ, with Mr. Green, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ be raised from the dead, no more death hath no more dominion over him. Mr. Brown has no more dominion over you. So we got to know that position. If you don't know your new position in Jesus Christ, boy, you're going to give back in your flesh because you think I just, I, and you'll hear people say this, I just have to be angry because that's how my family's been angry and I'm just angry. I just have to be it. No, if you're a Christian, you don't have to be anything. You got a new master. Sometimes I will literally use that phrase to him and say, no, you have a new master. 
You don't have to be angry. You don't have to worry. You have a new master. You're choosing it. You're being deceived. So you got to know your position, number one. But then secondly, that word reckon, you got to reckon yourselves dead to sin. Verse 11 says, likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. You got to reckon it. You got to consider it. That means to consider it to be true. I can know it all I want. You can look at Mr. Brown at your door and say, you're not my landlord anymore. Here you go. You knew it, but you still gave in. To reckon it means this. I know you're not my landlord anymore, and I'm not giving you it. It's making a decision. And then where it fully comes into play is this word yield. Verse 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't yield yourself to Mr. Brown anymore. Don't yield yourself to sin or Satan, but yield yourselves unto God. We have to choose to yield to God now. We've got it. We've got it. It's decision time in a sense. This word yield is decision time. And, and at the end of this class right here, because I'm going to transition next week into more, I don't, I don't want to use the word positive, but to more stuff to build us. But this is the last week of just trying to obliterate the flesh. All right? That's last week. So that really, this yield part is your choice now. We have to choose. Do I know my position in Jesus Christ? Yes, I'm saved. I'm, I have a new master. Do you reckon that to be true? Are you acting on it? And then you've got to make the choice. Yeah, I'm not going to follow you around all week and say, oh, there was Mr. Flesh. Let's do that. No, not going to do it. Not going to do it. So we got to leave here and choose to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus Christ. There's an old Indian that he was asked a story once about the black dog, white dog. Have you heard this story? And he was, he was gambling on it. Okay, so... Black, they, they come in, they bring this white dog and this black dog. And the Indian owned these two dogs, and he would bet his money on, let's say, the black dog. The black, they would fight. Everybody else would be betting on the white dog. They, they just look like the, the black dog looked weak, and this one looked strong. And they would fight, and that black dog would win, and that Indian would win all the money. He'd get all the money. And they were like, what? And the next week, the white dog would come in, and the black dog would come in, and he'd bet all of his money on the white dog. And everybody's like, no, 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 we're going to the black dog. And he'd bet all the money on the black dog. And the white dog would win, and the Indian would win all the money, and they would just get, they were like, well, how do you keep winning this? And the Indian said this, he said, me want white dog win, me feed white dog, me starve black dog. Me want black dog win, me feed black dog, me starve white dog. And he knew every week, I starve this dog all week, so he's weak, and I fed this dog all week, so he's hungry, or he's feeling good, and that's who he bet on, and that's who it won. You know what? Not much is different in your Christian life. If you feed your flesh Monday through Saturday, then don't be surprised when you're living like the flesh. But when you feed the Spirit, getting into the Word of God, taking in church and apply it to your lives, spending time in prayer and feeding your, your spirit, you're going to find that you're reaping life everlasting. It says in Galatians 6, He that soweth to his flesh shall reap destruction, but he that soweth to his spirit shall reap life everlasting. So the choice is yours today. This is the last part of dealing with the flesh. We've seen it. We've exposed the flesh. He's a defeated internal enemy. He's going to be there the whole time. But you have to choose this. Leaving here. Hey, I'm going to call out Mr. Flesh. Write it in a journal. This week I sensed this flesh right here. And I'm calling it out in the name of Jesus. I don't want to do this. I'm asking God by faith to humble me and help me to live the opposite of this. And you have the victory. You just have to claim it. All right, let's pray.